Hi there. Welcome to the 27th episode of Stories That Made Us. This week, we cover the creation myths and folklore of some of the many tribes of Africa. This in fact is a continuation of the many African tribes whose stories were covered in episodes 3, 7, 11, 16 and 19. Not to mention the tale of the ancient Egyptians in episode 17. In this episode, we cover the stories of the Malozi of Zambia, Kono of Sierra Leone, and Ijo of Nigeria. The stories are fascinating tales of some of the oldest human cultures of the world. They cover a beautiful interplay of gods and mankind, all culminating to the society that we find ourselves in today. The first of our tale is of the Malozi. The Malozi, also known as Lozi, Alyi, or Barotse, are the peoples of western Zambia, which has been their ancestral home. They are led by a king who is deemed to be almost as sacred as the gods. Known as Litunga, the king performs the religious ceremonies in the sacred village center called Lilu. Their creation myth is a fascinating tale about the relationship between the creator and the humans. The story is a myth of how humans fell from God's grace by doing as they pleased with the creation. When there was nothing in the universe and no living being or matter existed, there was Neambe. He was the first in the world and he was all there was. He was alone. Over time, life became tedious for the primeval deity. Out of boredom and seeking company, he first created his wife, Nasilele. Now the first god and the goddess needed a place to stay, so Neambe created the earth. This is where he and Nasilele lived for eons. But then, The two were bored of the bland existence. This is why Niambe made the rivers, plains, and animals. Afterward, he made the first man, Kamuni, and then his wife. This was the time when the god and his wife lived upon the earth with all of his creation. He mingled with Kamuni the man and his wife as he did with all of his animals. The world was in a perfect harmony, with the god providing for everything required by his creation. Kamunu the man quickly realized that he was more intelligent than the animals. He would follow Neambe and learn from the gods. Soon enough, he learned to speak and make clothes. He then learned to farm and make a shelter for himself and his wife. Now the god Nyambe looked at Kamunu's progress with pride, for it was he who had bestowed mankind with intelligence. Eventually, as Kamunu continued to learn from Nyambe, he one day learned to carve and forge iron. As the days went by, A time came when Kamunu decided to forge a spear. 
interested in the workings of the weapon, he took it to skewer the son of the antelope. Now this, in those times, was not allowed, for animals and humans were equal, and all were the children of Nyambe. The god wished for all creatures of earth to live in peace and harmony. The moment Kamunu realized the ramification of his actions, he sought to hide his crime. He did this by cooking and feeding upon the animal's flesh. This is how animals were hunted for the first time. The evil deed of Kamunu, however, was not hidden from Niambe for long. The deity was furious at the man's actions and was further enraged at his audacity to hide the crime from the god. You have eaten one of my children, the god screamed at Kamunu. You have murdered your brother, he said. Kamunu apologized profusely for his actions but was unable to find any sympathy for the god. Nayambe ordered the first man to be banished from his kingdom. The first man roamed the wilderness for a year. It was during this time that he found a magic pot with a seed-giving plant and a club. At the end of the year, he came back to Nyambe's kingdom, asking again for forgiveness. By this time, the god had mellowed, and when seeing his creation, the first man upon the door, he allowed him back into his realm. Now Kamunu had the magic pot with the seed-giving plant, so he asked Nyambe to provide him a plot of land to cultivate. He then planted many crops upon this land. One night, however, a buffalo trampled the fields. Kamunu, angry at the buffalo's transgression, killed it in retaliation. When this news reached Nyambe, he reluctantly allowed Kamunu to eat the animal's flesh, for it was the animal who was the first transgressor. Since that day, it stopped being shameful to consume animal flesh. Humans have been eating meat without retribution since the time of Kamunu, the first of us. Then one day, Kamunu found out that the plant on his magic pot had died. Curious as to its cause, he went to Nyambe and asked for the cause of its demise. Nyambe told him that this was the way of the world. All creation shall die and new animals, plants, and people shall populate the world in their stead. This is how things continue to be to this day. Now Kamunu once killed a deer who had trampled his field. He went to Nyambe the very moment to ask permission to eat the animal. Nyambe agreed to this, but the next day, Kamunu woke up to the news that his dog had died. When he asked Nyambe about his dog, the deity shrugged and said, This is the way of the world. Every action has a consequence. 
Kamune could not grasp the full meaning of Nyambe's words. The next time, when he killed a trampling elephant and asked the deity for permission to feast on its flesh, it too was granted. The next day, however, Kamunu's firstborn died. Again, when Kamunu complained, the god replied tersely, This is the way of the world. Every action has a consequence. By now, the deity was upset with Kamunu's behavior. Furthermore, the first man would follow God everywhere. One day, Neambe had had enough. He took his messenger, the antelope, and went away from Kamunu, and indeed his kingdom, to live on an island. When Kamunu heard of this, he fashioned a canoe. Moreover, he took animal offerings, meat from the many creatures that he had killed, for the god to eat. When Kamunu found Nyambe and offered the food, the god declined, saying, These are my children that you kill. How dare you offer me their flesh? Upset and outraged, Nyambe left the island immediately and this time went up on a mountain. There, at the summit, the deity thought he had finally gotten rid of the man. But Kamunu followed him there as well. As time went by, wherever Nyambe went, he was met with either Kamunu or one of his children. Finally, the deity had had enough. He decided to go up high and build a realm for himself in the sky. This is how heaven came to be. It became his safe resting place, a place that was impossible for Kamunu and his descendants to scale. Up there, the god then invited all the animals to come with him and get away from man and his children. He wished for the animals to find a safe place to live. A place without the constant threat from mankind. But the animals refused. They said that the earth was their home as well, and they would not leave their world. Upon hearing this, Nyambe bestowed animals with strength that was greater than humans. He then gave some animals speed. For others, he thickened their hides. He gave all creatures, save mankind, ways to defend themselves. He did this, for man was the enemy of all animals. This is why animals have superior strength, size, and more speed than humans. Finally, having bestowed gift upon the animals, Nyambe left the earth for good. Even then, Kamunu and his descendants tried hard to get to the deity. They built a tower of wooden posts that were tied with a rope to get up as high as heaven. But the tower fell from the weight of the climbers and many people died. After many more such attempts, Kamunu finally gave up trying to reach heaven and get to Neambe. 
In fact, he began the ritual of praying to the sun each morning as a way to please Nyambe and to atone for his sins so that the deity would allow mankind to be near him once again. This tradition continues to this day. The king of the Malozi prays to the sun each morning at dawn to seek blessings of the god for himself and his people. That ends the Malozi story of our origin. The next tale is of the Kono. The Kono people were originally from Mali and Guinea. They did, however, move to Sierra Leone a long time ago. Their creation myth is very unique, for unlike other tales, Theirs begins in a world where death existed before everything else, making it the primary Kono creator. Eventually, there existed another god named Alatangana who improved upon death's work. Another aspect of this creation myth that stands out is the influence that colonialism has had on the tale. The division of races and justification of no intermingling of the whites and blacks seems to be a colonial effect on the development of the myth. Furthermore, the story explains how the whites were bestowed with intelligence while the blacks were given strength for manual work. This apparent justification of the inferior role of the blacks provides further evidence that such instances were added later in the tale as a way to justify the colonial actions and atrocities committed by the whites. A tale similar to that of this story is of the Bulu tribe of Cameroon and Guinea, which we covered in episode 7. Their creation myth too was affected by the adverse self-image that was brought about by colonialism. This just goes on to showcase the negative effects of colonialism over and beyond its socio-economic impact. Nevertheless, let's continue with the tale of the Kono. In the beginning, the world was covered in darkness. It is this darkness that Sa, or Death, called home. He lived there with his wife and daughter. They needed a place to live, and therefore Sa created a slushy and muddy sea. This is where the deity and his family lived for ages, until one day the god Alatangana suddenly appeared. No one knows where he came from, and nobody knows who birthed him. But there did appear this god, Alatangana, upon his arrival on the muddy sea, visited Sa. The death god took the new god on a tour of his world. Alatangana saw the great expanse that was the muddy sea and was annoyed that nothing was added to further creation. He thus decided to do better than Sa and began adding to this world. Alatangana began by first extracting the mud from the sea. This he dried, and from it was fashioned all the land that is inhabited by the peoples of the world. 
He then made the animals and plants and added them to the world to make it more lively. Sir, the death god, looked at the additions made by Alatangana and was very impressed. He offered his and his family's friendship to the god. When the two deities were feasting one day, Alatangana asked Sar for his daughter's hand at marriage. There were, after all, no other suitable deities in the sky who could wed the new god. Sar, however, refused. Alatangana, though, was not deterred by Sar's refusal. He secretly pursued Death God's daughter who was only too happy to reciprocate his love. Then one day, when they had their chance, the two lovers secretly eloped to a distant place. Alatangana and his wife spent many years in hiding, afraid of and keen to avoid Sar's anger. While in hiding, the two deities birthed fourteen children. Of the fourteen, Four were white boys and four were white girls. There were three black boys and three black girls. Surprisingly, the children all spoke different languages. This made it hard for Alatangana and his wife, for they could not understand their children. Try as they might, they could not teach their language to their offsprings and neither could they learn their many different languages. This was very upsetting to Alatangana, who finally relented and decided to come out of his hiding to consult with his father-in-law, Saar. Now when he went to Saar, the death god spoke in no uncertain terms of his disdain towards his son-in-law and chastised Alatangana for running away with his daughter. Afterward, when Sar had calmed down, he admitted that it was he who had punished the disobedient couple by making it impossible for them to understand their own children. Alatangana pleaded with Sar to undo his curse, but the death god was not swayed. However, after much praying and pleading, Sar softened. He then told his son-in-law that he would give the couple's white children all the intelligence and the ability to read, write and innovate. This way, they would be able to write and communicate everything they wished to say. The black children, meanwhile, said Sar, would be given exceptional skills in making and using tools. They would thus be able to take care of themselves and so would not have to rely on their parents for help. Saar then further decreed that the black children are to marry only among the black people and the white children only whites. A reluctant Alatangana did not have a choice but to agree to his father-in-law's wishes. This is how the separation of the black and white races began. Soon, the black and the white peoples went their own ways 
and scattered throughout the world. Now back then, the world was still covered in darkness. Soon, the children began to complain about the lack of light and their inability to work and perform in this utter darkness. So once again, Alatangana journeyed to his father-in-law's abode to get help from Sa. Upon hearing his son-in-law's plight, Sa, the death god, fashioned two birds out of clay. He then told the birds to sing in a way that would bring light to the world. These two birds are the tutu and the cock. They are the morning birds who sing every morning at the beginning of the dawn. It is their song that brings light to our world each day. Later, Sa arranged the path for the sun and the moon. He also made the stars to light up the sky. This is how the world in which we live in was created a long time ago. When all this was done and creation began to flourish, Sa called his son-in-law to his abode. There, he told Alatangana that he demanded service in return for the gifts he had given to the world. When asked what he desired in return, the death god said, You have stolen and taken away my only child from me. In return, you must now give me your children whenever I wish for them. When I desire to call your children, I must never be denied. This is how death came to the world. Death is the price that we humans pay for our ancestor Alatangana's marriage. Our final story is the creation myth of the Ijo. The Ijo live in the forests of the Niger River Delta in Nigeria. Their tribe, interestingly, believes that God lets people decide their own fates. This is done before we are born and the whole life is a journey that culminates in fulfilling our fates. Death arrives when we are done with our work on earth. Their creation myth is that of a benevolent mother who creates the world. The tale is told as a part of the greater story of the exploits of Ogboinba, the great cultural heroine. In this particular tale of creation, the heroine oversteps her boundaries by asking the female goddess to overturn her previously agreed upon fate. When she refuses to take the goddess's no for an answer, she was punished for her arrogance. It is said that Ogboinba was condemned to live forever in the eyes of the people. The Ijo believe that when you look straight into someone's eyes, it is Ogboinba who looks right back at you. The story ultimately drives home the point that prior to birth, we all undergo a sacred determination of fate. It is impossible to deviate from this predestined fate, and our lives are played out according to the divine laws of the Great Mother. 
The big implication of the tale is that people are born to be what they are, and that change or deviation from that is impossible. When there was nothing in the world, the earth was but a barren field. In this field, there stood a gigantic Iroko tree. No one knows where the tree came from. We are not aware of who planted it. But we do know that this was the state of the world. Now into this empty field, there descended a chair, a table with a great pile of clay on it, and a very large creation stone. These objects came down from heaven as per the wishes of Wayangi, the Great Mother, the Creator Goddess. She came down upon the earth amid great claps of thunder and strikes of lightning. She made her way to the chair and the table. There, she sat elegantly upon the chair, rested her feet on the sacred creation stone, and began to mold the clay. It is out of this clay that all plants, animals, birds and fish were first created. The Great Mother then bestowed life into all of her creations. She was filled with joy at the sight of the earth now teeming with life. She then made the rain, the wind, the sun, the moon and all things that are required for the animals to flourish. Finally, she created the first of us. Now the first humans needed life, so Wayangi held them in her hands and breathed into them. This is how humans are different from animals, for we were born from the breath of the mother goddess. This is the source of our intelligence, language and skills. Now the first humans, in the beginning, were neither male nor female. So the Great Mother asked the first of us to choose the gender. When the first men and women were thus created, Great Mother Wayangi then asked them to choose the two essences of our being. These two are a way of life and a way of death. When choosing the way of life, some chose to be rich and they were bestowed with great riches. Some chose to have many children and they were the families that flourished. Those who desired food were given large fields to sow crops and those who desired to hunt were given weapons. Similarly, among the way of death, there were some who chose to die of old age. Others chose various diseases, illnesses and injuries. In fact, it is said that all types of lives and all types of death that exist in the world were chosen on that fateful day. Now in these times that were the beginning of humanity, there were two sisters. Before being born, one sister had asked for successful children. The other sister, Ogboinba, 
on the other hand, asked for magic and sacred power. With their wishes granted, the two were born in the same village and grew up together as loving sisters. When the two had grown up, they took husbands. In time, the first sister produced many children. Ogboimba, on the other hand, though a great shaman and a wielder of magic, was barren. No matter what she did, she could not provide an offspring. Her magic too failed to provide her a son. She became unhappy and went to find the Great Mother. When the Great Mother Woyengi told her that her fate was sealed and could not be unchanged, she asked the Goddess to destroy and then recreate her with a new fate. This was a mistake, for her impertinence angered the deity. Her way of life was already chosen and there was no way, according to the divine laws, to undo it. The angry goddess then hid Okboimba in our eyes as a punishment. She sees the world through us, but we never get to see her. These stories are all that we have time for in this episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to the African creation myths. Do check out episodes 3, 7, 11, 16 and 19 for more tales of this fascinating continent. You may also like to listen to the creation myth of the ancient Egyptians in episode 17. Please help us out by leaving a feedback and a rating on whichever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. It makes it easier for others to discover us and also encourages us to improve. We'd love to hear from you on Twitter and Instagram. So join us by checking out the handle at stories THTMDEUS for both of those apps. Email us at info.storiesthatmadeus at gmail.com with your feedback, questions, or just to say hello. Thank you for listening to us. We'll be back again next week. Until then, it's goodbye.